we, um, as has been said, we're covering a series of relationships and focus on, focusing on the beauty of relationships. And I believe based on this message, I want to not only focus on relationships, but I want to focus on self-examination uh, because it's hard to pour into others and focus on others when there hasn't been anything focused on our own hearts. And so we're going to turn to Philippians 2. We're going to read the first few verses. Philippians chapter 2, first few verses. We go right in. Paul says, so if there is anything or any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just a quick background on this book, this book of Philippians. It's a book, a letter written to the church of Philippi. Philippi was a beautiful Roman colony with citizens that were extremely patriotic. They loved, they supported their leader, their Roman beliefs, their customs, they honored their emperor Caesar. And so because of how patriotic they were and because of how much they loved and honored their leader, you just, you just didn't come in Philippi telling them to follow someone else without suffering any consequences. You didn't just come in Philippi and tell them to change certain customs and change their mindset without suffering any consequences. But in Acts 16, Paul not only plants a church, but he tells people about Jesus. And people hear the gospel, they give their hearts to the Lord, and they not only begin to follow Jesus, but they begin to share the gospel as well. And because everybody, again, wasn't willing to hear this gospel about Jesus, and because many of them were so focused on pleasing the emperor, many of the Christians were persecuted. Many of the Christians were executed. And after this church of Philippi is established, Paul does what he does best. He heads out and he goes somewhere else to do the same thing. And while Paul is serving Jesus somewhere else, as usual, he's persecuted and he's thrown in jail. And the word gets back to the church of Philippi. And when Philippi hears about this, they send one of their leaders, Epaphroditus, on an 800-plus mile journey to check on Paul. 800-plus mile. Now, mind you, this isn't... Cars haven't been invented. He has to walk. This is days that it takes for him to get to where Paul is. And when he gets to Paul, he comes to Paul with financial gifts 
uh, food and some updates on how the church is doing, uh, just uh, some thank you gifts and just letting them know the church loves them. Paul gets this letter, or he gets Epaphroditus. They, in, they interact, and what Paul does is he takes paper and he writes this long letter of thanksgiving to the church of Philippi. He writes this long letter of encouragement, this long letter of discipline known as Philippians. Paul says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. I was just talking about the importance of relationships. One of the reasons why Paul had to write this, if you look at verse 1, he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, or any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The issue was that they were not in full accord. The church was scattered in their mind. There were some people in the church that wanted to incorporate the traditions of Philippi into Christianity, and there were others that wanted to keep it just the way it was. And so they were arguing, and they were fighting, and they were bickering back and forth. And Paul says some things are not worth fighting over. At the end of the day, focus on the gospel, and this is one of the reasons why it's important before we discuss the problem with others, let's talk about what's wrong with us. And so he says in verse three, in order for you not to have, in order for you to have one mind, in order for you to be in full accord, let's talk about ourselves. Do nothing, in verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. This is self-examination. What is conceit? Conceit is excessive favor and pride in yourself. It's excessive favor and pride in yourself. So this means that conceit will always put self first. Conceit or pride or arrogance will always put self first. Conceit takes your focus off of God being the center. We love attention. We love attention. And so we'll do things for people to see how funny we are, how strong we are, by how independent we are. That's conceit. We want to show people how sinless we appear to be. You know, what's interesting to me is I'm, we're living in a day now where Christians or so-called Christians have dedicated YouTube channels and blogs and, and several different streams of social media to expose the flaws of other Christians, other preachers, without praying for the preacher or his family or his church. There's no justification in sin, especially from a church leader. But I just find it interesting how rare it is to find Muslim YouTube channels that expose other Muslims. I find it very interesting how rare it is to find Buddhist YouTube channels or social media that expose other Buddhists. But yet somehow, we've created a culture where we feel comfortable and we even find pleasure in exposing one another. 
They make movies and they make TV shows and they make series made up, dedicated to Christian flaws. And then some of us go to support that. We go to the movies. Some, they make articles and they post blogs and we share it to the world, not to solicit prayers, not to comfort this broken pastor who made a mistake, not to comfort this broken family, this embarrassed family, but simply for our own entertainment. That's conceit. This is form of gossip. It may give people a sense of relief because we're pointing out someone else's flaws and it distracts them from seeing our own. That's conceit. Conceit is a place of escape. It's a place of escape from the reality of who God is. It's the place of escape from our own sin. It's a place of escape from our own flaws. Even when we see conceit, we see conceit on TV. Follow your heart. They tell us to follow our heart. It's, it's, it sounds real fluffy. It sounds real warm and fuzzy. Follow your dreams. We hear about these things, self-empowerment. But we don't even realize that even in that, that's a form of pride. Because following your heart, which the Bible says is deceitful and wicked, it puts God's will behind our own desire. Self-empowerment is depending on our own wisdom and our own abilities and our own strength. And I know, again, it, it may sound a little harsh. It may sound a little overboard to tell someone not to follow their heart. And even, even if this is presented the wrong way, sometimes it can even sound contrary to Scripture. Because doesn't the Bible tell us that God will give us the desires of our heart. Doesn't the Bible tell us that he is a shepherd that we shall not want? What's wrong with wanting? What's wrong with having desires? How can we reconcile our desires and our wants with God's will? And the answer is simple. The answer is simple. We must recognize the power of context. We must recognize the power and the beauty of context. Psalm 37 verse 4, it tells us, yes, God will give us the desires of our heart, but it begins by saying, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This word delight, it's a word of intimacy. It's a word of communion. As I said last week, Noah got in the boat. God told him to make an ark. Another Hebrew word for ark is box. There was no steer. There was no way for Noah to lead the ark. The ark had to lead him. He was in the ark. Wherever the ark went, Noah went. When the ark stopped, Noah stopped because the ark was the leader. This word delight is telling you to get in the ark of God. You don't steer. God steers. Find that place of communion and fellowship within God's sovereignty. And the more we're intimate with God, the more we become like him. We begin to hate what he hates and we begin to love what he loves, which leads us to wanting what he wants. And when you want what God wants, when your wants are revolved around his perfect will, then he will give you the desires of your heart. It makes sense? Paul says do nothing out of selfish gains. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
In humility, what is humility? Humility is having low regard of yourself. It is the absence of pride. It's the absence of pride. Which brings me to my next point. Humility is not low self-esteem. It is not low esteem. Humility is not low esteem. Low esteem is actually another form of pride. Low esteem is actually another form of pride because conceit always puts self first. Conceit always points to man. Low esteem, it causes us to focus so much on our flaws that we don't focus on the needs of others. Prime example, Moses, the prince of Egypt, commits murder, escapes the wrath of Pharaoh by going to Midian. He lives there for 40 years. While he's there as a shepherd, minding his own business, God appears to him in Exodus 3 in the form of a burning bush. He tells Moses, get up, go back to Egypt, tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. Because the Israelites are slaves. They want, I need them. I want them to be free for my glory. Go talk to the Pharaoh. The only thing Moses could focus on was how impossible this task was. God tells him to go. Moses talks about his sin. Well, you know, I killed somebody. You're not going to listen to me. God says, I'll be with you. Well, God, you know, I have a speech impediment. I'm not the best speaker. Well, God says, I'll give you the words to say. Well, God, I don't know really. I don't know if they're going to believe me. I need a sign. God gives them a sign. Well, God, I'm a little nervous. God said, I'll give you Aaron to speak for you. You don't got to even say anything. Just show up. Tell Aaron what I'm going to say. Tell Aaron what to say. He'll say it for you. Well, God, I just don't know. Every time God gave him his word, Moses came up with a reason not to go because Moses was so focused on what he couldn't do that he overlooked what God can do and he overlooked the needs of the Israelites in Egypt. You see that? When you are so focused on your flaws, you overlook the needs of others. Yes, we have flaws. Yes, there are things that we can't accomplish, we can't do. But if God be for you, who can be against you? God is greater than anything in this world. Someone needs your voice. Someone needs your presence. Someone needs your writing. Are you focused on what you can't do or are you focused on what God can do through you? At the end of the day, we're vessels. We're vessels. If God can use one man to single-handedly slaughter 1,000 Philistines with nothing but a donkey's jawbone, why can't he use you to speak truth? He was so focused. Moses was so focused on his flaws that he couldn't focus on the power of God. I find it mind-blowing, and I, and I include myself in this, because even as believers in Christ, even as believers in Christ, we, we belong to the Father. And even after repentance, after we mess up, we still hold on to the guilt and the shame that came with the sin. We struggle forgiving ourselves. We struggle forgiving ourselves, and we hold ourselves back because of what we've done. Some of us, we may face rejection and we may face abandonment from other people in our families. 
and we beat ourselves up and say something was wrong with me taking the punishment, taking their sin and putting it on our shoulders when Jesus did that on the cross. We don't even realize what we're saying is, Lord, I, I know you died, but um, I think I'll take this one. Jesus, I know you took the sin and I know you took the penalty and I know you took that punishment, but I think I'll hold on to this one. I think I'll hold on to the sin of my father or the sin of my mother or I think I'll hold on to my own sin because I deserve it. We don't even realize that's a form of pride. I, I know that this can be a little weighty, but sometimes God's word isn't always warm and fluffy. That's just how it is sometimes. Conceit always points to man, but humility always points to God. Jesus tells us, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, glorify your father, which is in heaven. So he's talking to believers. Jesus is talking to believers. He calls us the light of the world. He tells us not to hide our light under a basket, but on the candlestick. So it gives light into all that are in the house. The reality is that not everybody likes light. Not everybody likes the light. When we go to sleep, we go to sleep, we turn our lights off. We're living in a day where people find every reason to shame Christianity. And that's because... The lights are out. And when we go to sleep and we turn the lights off, we get real comfortable. We can't put our head in the pillow, got the covers on. But when someone walks in that room and turns the light on, we get angry. We get irritated. And the reason why we get irritated is because when the light comes on, that is a signal or that is a display that it is time for us to live for someone else. And we're angry about that because we're in the middle of being self-soothed. We were just in our good sleep. We were, anybody could just have good sleep where you roll the right way and a little something just comes right down the little, you know. That's good sleep. That's real good sleep. And when someone comes in and turns the light on, what they're saying is, it's not time for you to live for yourself anymore. It's time for you to serve someone else. And we get so mad because we want to rest and we find comfort sometimes in darkness. That's why so many people can't stand Christianity because we're living in a dark world. And when you show up with your light, you come in and turn the light on. That's why they can't stand the gospel at your job. Because you go in your job and turn the light on and say it's time to get up. Everybody get up. But they want to keep their face in the pillow. They want to keep the covers over their head because they're thinking about themselves. But the gospel keeps you from focusing on yourself only. And it pushes you and forces you to look at the needs of others. I got one amen all the way in the back. My one-year-old daughter helped me out. <laughs> Thank you, Gabby. And so we're in a day now, in a dark world. We come in and we turn our lights on. They can't stand that. And sometimes they say things. They say things to hurt us. They say things and they do things 
to hurt us, to make them in, to make sure we know that they are our enemy. And, 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 and if I can be honest, sometimes it, you, you want to take revenge. Sometimes you want to say something back. Sometimes you want to use your hand for something other than a handshake. Can I be real for a second? Okay. We seek revenge sometimes, even in our hearts. But if we take a step back and we recognize that there's something toxic consuming the mind of that person, there's spiritual invasion going on in the heart of that person that's taking place, we don't realize that sometimes when the world is going at us and they're saying these hurtful things, we don't realize it's actually it's a cry for help. It's their spirit crying out for help, needing Christ. That's our opportunity to minister. That's our opportunity to pray. That's our opportunity to report their behavior, not because we want to see them get in trouble, but because we want their heart healed. That is humility. How can I serve someone else? As satisfying as revenge may feel, humility says, what can I do to put you above me? What needs do you have? And how can I be a servant to you, whether I like you or not, whether you like me or not? Revenge focuses on self-satisfaction. It's a form of conceit, but Paul challenges us to be humble. Which brings me to my next point. Humility is not a show. It's a lifestyle. Humility is not a show. It's a lifestyle. It's mind-blowing how people can brag about their humility. It, It blows my mind. You know, we, we, we have to make sure we know how forgiving we were to our enemy. We have to make sure everyone knows that. We have to make sure everyone sees us serving at the food pantry. You ever see people, do, I've, I, I get on social media and I'll see past, I've seen this. I've seen pastors take selfies while they're giving to the poor. I've seen pastors have someone record them while they're praying for somebody on the street, so that way the world can know how humble they are. But boasting in your, your humility is prideful. That's, this is something that the Pharisees couldn't grasp. The Pharisees, a group of religious leaders who served their community. They gave to charity. They gave to the poor. They followed the law. They did nothing on the Sabbaths. They prayed for people. And as nice as these acts of charity were, none of them were done for God's glory. They were done for self-gain because they wanted worship. They wanted glory. They wanted praise. They wanted honor. And if anyone came and took their influence, they would humiliate that person. It's the mind of the Pharisees. And that's what I love about Jesus. You look at the Pharisees, but if you travel to Matthew chapter 4, And I really encourage you to do this. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted by the devil to prove his power. He was tempted to depend on worldly possessions. He was tempted to live a life of arrogance and self-centeredness. And to make matters worse, he was alone in the wilderness in Matthew 4. So there was no one, there was no one that could see whether he was doing this or not. 
He lived the life of humility. And if he were to fall short, if he were to sin, no one would know. But the funny thing is, no one was there to congratulate him when he obeyed. No one was in the wilderness to give him a hand clap. No one was in the wilderness to cheer him on and congratulate him. But whether people were there to see him live a life of submission to the Father or not, he still did it. Are you someone that can only serve when people are watching? Or are you someone that can only live a life of humility when you're here at church and all eyes are on you? Or can you serve when this place is empty? And no one is here to talk about how humble you are. When no, can, you, can you still pick up trash? Can you still clean up? Can you still throw the trash out? Can you still serve when there's no one here to say, man, he's humble. Man, she is so humble. Can you still serve? The Pharisees couldn't. The Pharisees couldn't. They needed an audience. That's called a performance, making them actors. Another word for actor, hypocrite. That's what the word actor means. Hippa is a mask that you wear in reference to a play. They wore masks, acting like they were humble, but in reality they weren't. They were putting on a play. Can you serve when no one is watching, no one can give you an applause. Conceit is self-centeredness. But my last few points, conceit can be combated. We can combat conceit. We can combat conceit, but I also want to make it known that we can't combat conceit in our own strength. We can't combat conceit in our own Strength. We combat conceit through the power of the gospel. Verses 5 through 8, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God is holy. He's righteous. He made us in his image. He made us in his likeness. But out of conceit, we walked away from God's will. Our conceit ushered sin into the world and separated us from a sinless and a perfect God. And from that point, we were naturally broken. We were naturally selfish beings who deserved the wrath of God. But God the Father, he sent his son to live among us. Jesus, the son of God, the co-creator of the world, full of grace and truth. He came to this earth that he created and lived among the people that he created. And he didn't come to this earth with a grand entrance. He didn't come on a chariot dressed in royalty, surrounded by angels. But the Bible says he emptied himself. He was born of a virgin. 
He was born the way every human is born by a woman. He didn't live as a wealthy politician or a first-class citizen with butlers and servants, but he got up every morning and he went to work as a carpenter. He didn't use his godhood to look down on those in authority, but he obeyed and submitted to those who have rule over him. He veiled his glory and he allowed people to spit in his face, to tear patches of hair out of his beard. He allowed them to hang him on a cross, call him names, say hurtful things about him. He allowed them to nail his hands to the cross and he stayed there. Enduring the pain. We're talking about God in the flesh who could have come down, but he stayed there. Until his last breath, he stayed there. Because Jesus knew that humility is not just shown when times are good, but humility is shown even when times are hard. Submission to the Father is not just when skies are sunny, but even on a rainy day. And the crazy thing about Jesus, like I said, he had the power to take revenge. The Bible says in Matthew 26, Jesus was in the garden praying. He was in the garden praying to the Father, preparing himself to endure the cross. And the soldiers came barging in the garden ready to arrest Jesus, and they beat him down. They were ready to arrest him and beat down anybody who followed him. And the Bible says that Peter, in all his brilliance, that's sarcasm, Peter And all his brilliance takes out a sword and he goes and slices the man's ear off. You know, there's a lot of scholars that believe Peter was actually going for the throat. But the man turned his head and ducked and he ended up cutting his ear off. Just a fun fact. And the crazy thing, you would think that this act of rebellion, you would think Jesus would say, go, Peter. Thank you, man. You stepped up. Thank you, man. I needed that. Because Peter was attempting to save Jesus. But Jesus doesn't get angry with the man who Peter sliced. He gets angry at Peter. He gets the man's ear off the ground. He heals him. And he looks at Peter. He says, put away your sword. Matthew 26, verses 52 through 54, he says, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then he says something very powerful, which I've said plenty of times, I'm just always mind blown by it. In verse 53, he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Like I've said several times in the past. Jesus says 12 legions of angels. That's in reference to the Roman army. One legion, a group of soldiers, one legion was about 60 to 70,000 soldiers. And Jesus says, I could have 12 legions to come to my rescue. The crazy thing about this, the Bible says in 2 Kings, the Assyrians were getting ready to face Israel. In battle, and the Bible says one angel, one angel came in and fought on Israel's behalf. One angel killed 185,000 men. And Jesus says, not only can I get 
one legion of angels like that, I can get 12 of them. Jesus is trying to tell Peter, there's not enough people on the planet that could handle my revenge. There's not enough people in existence. If I really wanted to take revenge on my enemies, there's not enough room for that. But then he says something extremely powerful in the next verse. Again, he says, do you, do you, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But then he says, but then how? How then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? What we are seeing is one of Jesus' darkest moments. He's preparing to give his life for this world in a gruesome way. Even in his darkest moments, Jesus' focus was still on the Father's will being done. Jesus' focus was still on the brokenness of all of us. Even in his darkest moments. He still lived a sinless life because he saw our sin and our brokenness and our need for him. He put the sins or he put the needs of others above his own. His life teaches us that a life of humility doesn't just come when times are good, but even in his darkest moments, we're still required to be humble. He endured the cross. He died for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, he physically rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And all this was done to heal the broken relationship between God and man. Christ is the ultimate example of humility. We can combat conceit. My closing point, we combat conceit through the authority of God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through God's word. The Holy Spirit points us back to the sinless life of Christ, teaches us how to live like Christ. God's word is an instruction manual for our everyday living. My question is how often do we need to read God's word? We need to read God's word as often as we sin. We need to read God's word as often as we rebel. So I need to read God's word every day. Every single day. We sin constantly, we mess up, but the Holy Spirit uses God's word to lead us and guide us and strengthen us even when we're weak. Conceit is a, it's a weakness, but God's word brings constant strength. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the mindset that we should have. I want to challenge you challenge you. I want to ask you questions before we leave. What prevents you from adopting this mindset of Christ? What prevents you from serving others the way Christ did? What prevents you from putting others above yourself? Jesus lived a life of humility by living a life of sacrifice, a life of servitude, a life of submission to the Father, a life of submission to authority. 
How often are we living a life of conceit where we're focused so much on our flaws that we overlook the needs of others? Who needs your presence this week? Who needs your encouragement this week? Who needs your rebuke this week? Through the authority of Christ and the authority of his word. Don't focus so much on your flaws. What in the world? (laughs) Don't focus so much on your flaws that you overlook the power of God that can operate through you and in you for the needs of someone else. Christ lived humble. Even in our darkest moments, we're required to do the same thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Because even though you are the creator of the universe, all things were made by you. You have the last say. You are sovereign. You are all-powerful, and you are all-knowing. But we thank you that even with all that, you are still humble. And your ultimate display of humility was shown through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that even though he was God and he was equal with God, he didn't count it a thing to be grasped. We thank you that he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. We thank you that Christ put the needs of others before his own. We ask through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be taught to do the same thing. Lord, teach us. Teach us to be humble. Teach us to be humble through your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that our eyes would be geared toward the gospel. Our eyes would be focused on the gospel. Our hearts would be focused on Christ. That we would live like him. So that as Christ said in Matthew 5, 16, that when men see our good works, They would see our Father in heaven. They would glorify our Father. We wouldn't take any glory. We wouldn't even boast in our humility because we know that we're simply vessels. We're humble that you chose us in your sovereignty to serve you. We're humble and we're honored that you chose us to be a blessing to someone else. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing. And even what you're going to do in us and through us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.